the AWS for Software Companies podcast, episode 30, Megatrends in the Software Industry with Jeremy Schneider, Senior Partner at McKinsey & Company. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the AWS for Software Companies podcast, where we speak to software leaders around the world about their journeys to the cloud, overcoming obstacles, and the role that Amazon Web Services play in their success. Today, a session from the AWS for Software Companies Executive Forum, where Jeremy Schneider, senior partner at McKinsey & Company, shares some megatrends in the software industry. Thank you all for being here. I'm gonna share with you some of the dynamics that we're seeing in the software industry and talk as well a little bit about some of the areas that we see software leaders betting on for the future. But before we look forward, it's worth taking a moment to look back and reflect. And we are privileged to work in an industry that is creating enormous economic value. I recognize that this straight line here often feels much more like a roller coaster, but If you take a little bit more macro lens and look over the last five years, the total value of the enterprise software industry, looking at all public companies, has roughly doubled, which is, despite all the ups and downs, pretty amazing. And perhaps more importantly, underlying that is real growth, and that growth driven by a substantial increase in total spend on software. So we've seen over that same period a 70% increase in spending on software. And that's driven by a few factors, right? One is a significant increase in total IT spending. IT spending has actually gone up 25% over that period. Most of that during the COVID years of 2020 and 2021 when we saw a massive wave of digitization. Secondly, it's driven in very large part by SaaS. And SaaS, as SaaS has grown, it has also absorbed other pieces of IT spending, right? And so the the balance of where that money is going has shifted from hardware and labor into more and more uh, SaaS and software. And in fact, in the last year, we've crossed what I think is a meaningful milestone, which is, for the first time, more than half of the entire software industry by revenue is SaaS is pretty amazing. This is up from just a third um, five years ago. Additionally, you know, there's a further factor of some uh, further budget allocation towards software from other pieces of the IT budget, which represents a small portion as well. But despite this strong growth, which is quite exciting, you know, I will say the market doesn't always feel quite that exciting. And at this moment, in some ways, it maybe even feel confusing. And confusing not only because it's hard to figure out from day to day who the CEO is at OpenAI, but also because we live in kind of a bipolar moment in the industry right now. On the one hand, we've seen an unprecedented increase in the cost of capital, which is raising the bar for performance uh, and for innovation. And on the other hand, we see more and more opportunity with better tools and better platforms, and especially over the last year, this massive wave of excitement around AI and generative AI. 
So just to double-click on these for a moment, and look, I'm sure you're all armchair economists by now, but if we just look at the dynamics of uh, rising interest rates in the software industry, we've seen, obviously, a massive compression in multiples. So we've seen, even for top-performing companies, valuation multiples fall from a high of 20 to 25 times uh, to something more like seven to eight times. We've also seen a reduction in expected near-term revenue growth. So a, a drop, as you can see here, of about 10 points over the last year. And that's driven in part by customer dynamics. If you talk to CIOs, CIOs say, 60% of CIOs say that they expect to limit spending on new software vendors. And 70% of them say that they expect to hold flat or reduce their budgets. And that's also obviously impacting the funding environment. And it's also impacted by the relative balance between the value of short-term and long-term cash flows, which makes it less attractive, obviously, to pour more money into near-term growth. And all of this adds up to a massive focus on efficient growth, right? Um, this is probably the hottest topic that I see among software companies right now is focus on growth efficiency. And one way of observing that is looking at some of the core uh, software metrics. And so we've done this for a number of years, looking at the correlation between many of the core software metrics and valuation growth. And what you see is actually over the last couple of years, it has meaningfully changed. The short-term revenue growth metrics have reduced in importance. And rule of 40 score, which obviously reflects a sort of balanced view between profitability and growth, has increased and has become the most predictive metric. And payback period has remained relatively steady, but its relative position has increased. And we'll talk in a few minutes more about some of the, the tactics that we see companies following to improve growth efficiency. But before we do that, it's worth pausing a minute and talking about some of the opportunity around Gen AI in particular. I know, at least judging by the signs that I see out my hotel window, it looks like that is absolutely the theme of the conference this year. Um, and rightly so. I mean, when we go and survey uh, software leaders, we recently surveyed about 200 uh, software CEOs. And what we found was that 93% of them said that they expected Gen AI to represent a major growth driver for their business uh, over the coming years. And 60% of them either have already launched or are piloting Gen AI features or products, which is pretty amazing. Maybe there's a little optimistic marketing in those numbers, but certainly it is pretty amazing given where Gen AI was on the radar screen a year ago. And I think the, the hype looks justified in our view. You've probably may, some of you may have seen our publications about the economic uh, value creation that we expect to see from Gen AI. Uh, but another way of looking at this is we've been looking at the relative adoption rate of Gen AI relative to SaaS <clears throat> and looking at how much of the total software spend is already going to Gen AI based on you know, reported numbers, uh, as well as what we expect to see in the future. And what we see is that Gen AI looks like it's going to see an adoption curve that is about three times the rate of SaaS in its early days. 
But look, it's not all sunshine and rainbows. There is certainly a lot of value to be created here through uh, new products, new features, uh, enabling uh, you know, easier deployment of software. But there are some balancing factors as well in our view. We think that GenAI may also shift the relative balance between internal development and commercial software. As the marginal cost of software development reduces, all of a sudden it becomes more attractive to develop a wider set of things internally. We also expect to see it increase the amount of churn in the industry for a few different reasons. Right? One, obviously there'll be a lot of fantastic new Gen AI products out there that people want to go adopt from all the folks in the room here. Um, but also because we expect it to reduce the cost of switching uh, in many software categories because it will make migration relatively easier. And hopefully, it will play into what we see as a broader trend in software, which is uh, an increasing focus on software that is easier to use and tackles more complex problems, but in a simpler way, instead of exposing more of that complexity to users. And so we think all of those things may drive more switching behavior uh, in the future. But nevertheless, the net effect is certainly positive for the industry. Um, and we think you know, this is a, a fantastic opportunity uh, for, for companies in the room here. It's also going to be uh, different if you look across pieces of the industry. Uh, and so this is sort of a, a map of the software industry in subsegments. I promise there won't be a test on this later. But there is, um, and don't test me on it either. I'm not sure I remember every segment myself. But, the, um, uh, but we, what we've been doing is trying to understand subsegment by subsegment uh, the relative impact of Gen AI. And of course, there are many areas that will see enormous growth, Gen AI tools, companies or sectors that have proprietary data sets that can be used to train AI in distinct ways, companies that have advantage access to customers to enable them to fine tune and train models. Um, and we think overall, I mean, there are a lot more green arrows here than, than red. But we do think that there are going to be segments of the market that also see big changes in competitive dynamics and maybe even reductions um, in value as a result of Gen AI. Uh, and you can see a couple of the places uh, that we're starting to think about there. Areas like customer service software, uh, areas like uh, BI software are areas that we're, that we're a bit concerned about. So the macro context in many ways we see as um, this enormous opportunity that is at the same time balanced by a rising bar for performance and innovation. But what do you do about it? Um, so I'm going to highlight a couple things that we see software leaders doing. The first is around, is really focused on uh, how to drive uh, growth efficiency. And this is around product-led experiences. I'm sure many of the folks in the room have been following the enormous hype around PLG and product-led growth. And certainly, you know, that hype is justified by the many of the fantastic stories of companies that have driven strong growth in this space and the, the immense amount of value that's been created there. But I will say, at least in our experience of it, it applies in only specific segments of the market. Um, and it is not something that can be, that works across every piece of the software industry. So what we see as actually ultimately having greater impact on the industry is something we call product-led sales. 
And the idea here is essentially taking principles from product-led growth and incorporating them into a sales motion that still involves human salespeople in it. The dream of a product that completely sells itself is wonderful, and you know, if, you, if you can accomplish that, God bless you. But we think much more of the industry is going to end up looking like this, which is there's still a meaningful role for sales, uh, but product-led principles, rich digital experiences, self-guided demos, the ability to really experience the product yourself before, uh, before buying it um, becomes a bigger and bigger piece of the equation. And so you know, some of the tactics that we see product-led sales uh, uh, leaders uh, using are listed here, right? But this is in, it includes um, some simple things, right? Like much richer use of digital marketing, digital experiences, so that essentially the idea here is to take the front end of the funnel of a product-led growth journey and use that to shorten the sales cycle dramatically um, and therefore drive greater efficiency uh, in, in uh, your ability to achieve growth. The second area is also around uh, efficient growth. Um, this is around net revenue retention. And look, net revenue retention has been around a while, but we think it's becoming increasingly important. Um, and for a simple reason, right, which is as good as you may be at PLG or PLS, if you'll accept my new acronym here, um, acquiring new customers is still dramatically more expensive than growing the customers you have, right? Uh, by our math, it's four to five times as expensive as uh, growing through cross-sell and upsell, and nine times as expensive as driving expansion at a point of renewal. And so we see companies really focused on achieving these kinds of best-in-class NRR metrics, some, you know, trying to get up to 125 or even beyond that in some cases. And oftentimes that dialogue starts with sort of the ends of the NRR waterfall, if you will. Companies spend a lot of time talking about customer losses and worrying about that, and they, worry, and they spend a lot of time celebrating cross-sell wins. But actually, we see most of the value in these journeys in the middle of the waterfall. And this is really around how do you mitigate downsell? How do you use uh, better pricing tools to, use, to, to um, recapture some value or capture more value at point of renewal? How do you package the right way to be able to drive efficient upsell and expansion? And so we see companies adopting a set of practices that are some of the you know, best-in-class markers in this space. Things like um, predictive customer health metrics, uh, things like using rich telemetry to get uh, better indicators of uh, what kinds of interventions to drive. And also, I mean, a lot of folks here, I'm sure, have invested in customer success, but this is really about a much more efficient and targeted deployment of customer success, in our view, using data to focus your customer success resources more dynamically. It's also about bringing more science to the pricing of renewals, I would say an area that's often uh, underappreciated as a value lever. But certainly, we have to come back to Gen AI because we see um, also a huge focus on Gen AI. We talked about the opportunity in 
features and in uh, new, new offerings. But Gen AI is also poised to have a huge impact on the way that we build products. And so, you know, if you look at all of the use cases sort of by function for Gen AI, what we see is actually just short of call centers, and I, I hate to kind of put these two next to each other here, but, but just short of call centers, the second uh, most impacted uh, space is actually software engineering. Uh, and this is actually borne out in our own research. So over the last eight months, and many of you have probably been running trials like this as well, we've taken our own engineering teams and run a set of, of tests to figure out um, you know, what kind of productivity benefits we could see from Gen AI-assisted software development. And we did this based on basically taking uh, paired teams uh, that were then you know, uh, reconfigured uh, and giving them the same task, one team with uh, Gen AI tools and one without, and then measuring the results. And since these were internal teams, we could just measure the hell out of everything, essentially. <laughs> and so we were able to, to see that actually the productivity benefits are very real. What we saw was a roughly 25 to 45% increase in productivity, but with huge variability. Variability based on the nature of the task, and you can see here the differences between refactoring and code gen, but also there's big differences across documentation and, and other tasks as well. Also big differences based on the experience set of the engineers. More experienced engineers were much better able to use these tools they were more effective in doing code reviews, and they understood how to make the tools work for them much better. In fact, as you see, the productivity of new engineers, low tenure engineers, actually went down as a result initially. Similarly, the complexity of the tasks mattered a lot. So with much simpler tasks, seeing much, uh, much greater benefits. So what does this mean in terms of you know, how to think about this? Just a few things that, that, I, that I would um, offer up to, to think about. One, which is maybe obvious based on the past slide, is there are huge benefits to actually training people how to do this. <laughs> I can't tell you actually how rare that is, despite the fact that it seems kind of obvious. Uh, but um, uh, actually teaching people how to use these tools effectively is incredibly important and dramatically accelerates the curve of productivity. Secondly, I would urge you to think about Gen AI-assisted software development as part of a broader engineering excellence journey. Very commonly, I talk to CTOs at different software companies, and they say, oh, you know, I've just rolled out these tools to my whole engineering population. And I say, oh, that, that's fantastic. So what benefits are you realizing? And they're like, well, I'm not measuring anything, so I have no idea. And so. I would urge you to think about this as part of a broader journey of engineering excellence. Certainly, it's a very powerful tool, uh, but it's best, in our experience, coupling this with actually starting, if you're not already, to measure a broad set of metrics. Certainly, this starts with Dora, and I'm sure that almost everyone in the room is probably using the Dora metrics. But in our experience, it's, Dora is fantastic, but even better, if you add in some of the space metrics and add in some additional metrics that start to get underneath some of the diagnostics of what might actually be going on and what to do about it, right? Things that are better diagnostic tools versus just outcome indicators. 
we, we particularly like some of the inner loop, outer loop metrics that some of you may have seen that, that um, a number of companies have published a lot about. So we would urge you to think about adopting a broader set of metrics as you go through this journey so you know what's working and what's not. And then also to think about how you're actually going to get the benefits of GenAI. Right? To actually restructure teams, shift capacity so that you put it into the places where you actually want more capacity going right? intentionally. Use that 25 to 45% benefit to drive the outcomes you want. Um, and oftentimes, in our experience, that requires uh, intentionally shifting resource in a more deliberate way. <clears throat> but certainly, it is an incredibly uh, exciting opportunity. And so, reflecting on all of this, I would say, fundamentally, this remains an incredibly exciting time for the software industry. But at the same time, there is certainly a rising bar on productivity and on innovation. I'm not, I'm not foolish enough to try and put up a point estimate of what we think the valuations will be five years from now. But I will say, we think the best days of the software industry are ahead of us. Um, and we hope to see that number be greater than 2x five years from now. And we're counting on the folks in this room to help make that happen. So thank you. Thanks again for listening to the AWS for Software Companies podcast. For more conversations with global software leaders, subscribe to this podcast in your podcast app of choice. And please feel free to share these episodes on LinkedIn or other social media. Thanks again for listening.